0: were the people of Jesus, the lame, the poor, the marginalized, the broken, the unloved. Why did he gather these? Because following Jesus is not a power trip. It is a journey of grace. How amazing it is to have such a partner for our lives. How wonderful to be called beloved by a God who shares every step with us as we struggle, doubt, fear. How great this grace that keeps us moving toward the kingdom, whether we run or walk or stumble along. Please join Pastor Glenn Thomas as we find our way through life together.
1: We read these words from Psalms 80. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You cast out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shadow and the towering cedar trees by its boughs. It stretched out its tendrils to the sea and its branches to the river. This psalm has a very particular uh, point of reference, and that is, of course, the story of the Exodus, the freeing of the slaves from their bondage in Egypt. Uh, they're bringing that nation of slaves and planting them in, in this promised land. It is a reminder of how God took this, this group of slaves, these generations who had suffered from bondage first, and, and turned them into a nation, made them something, planted them, uh, in a place, uh, and, and became a chosen people, a vehicle for God to work His plan of salvation for the whole world out. Uh, it is a psalm that, uh, is, expresses sentiments during times of great distress. Uh, it begins actually prior to the verses that we read here with this imperative to God to remember his people Israel for their struggling, their suffering. They may very well have become a a psalm uh, during the times of exile when that uh, sense of slavery is being relived again as the Israelites have been taken to Babylon and their homes have been destroyed. And in that moment of great tragedy and suffering, there is this call for God to remember what he has done, how he has been faithful. Once upon a time, God, you brought us out of slavery and you planted us, and now as we struggle, don't. Forget your promises. Do not forget what you have done in the past. Do not forget us. could easily be a song of remembering for us now in the year 2020 as well. A reminder to God that we belong to him, that he has watched over us and provided us in the past and cared for us. And a reminder for him not to forget that in this distressing and difficult time too. Maybe a reminder for us that we belong to God, that God has watched over us and cared for us and provided for us throughout all of our time and for many generations. And now here in this moment of distress, it is easy for us to forget to whom we belong and what that grace means. Sometimes we give too much credit to the devil, too much credit to evil in the land, and not to deny that those are real things. But this assumption that it might somehow triumph, that this underlying acceptance that the devil may have as much power of, as God to influence what might come, what the future might hold, what happened to our faith? Do we truly believe that the future is up for grabs? Are we truly convinced that anything might happen to us tomorrow? Or can we remember this God who made this promise to us? Not a contingency, not something that might work out if we do the right things or if history turns in the correct direction. A promise made deep uh, in our souls, a promise that will always hold true. A promise that is never in jeopardy, no matter what may come, no matter how hard life may be, no matter how much difficulty we face. What shall we do in this difficult day? The psalmist calls us to remember God, to remember His promises, to come back to Him not begging for help, but challenging God to be the God He promised to be and in that moment for us to remember what God has been and the promise of what God will do. The point of this psalm is to remind us to trust even as we remember that God has always been faithful. Let's pray. Lord God, you so tend the vine you planted that now it extends its branches throughout the world. Keep us in Christ as branches on that vine that grafted firmly in your love, we may show the whole world your great power and bear the fruit of grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our word for this week is melos, uh, a Greek word that means part or often translated as member, uh, which takes the idea of part into a very more specific uh, direction. In ancient Greek, it was a word that was used uh, as part of describing the harmony of different parts as it fits together. Uh, The great uh, Bible commentator uh, F.A. Wright says, that shows us about this connection between uh, a member and a song and a dance as part of ancient art uh, and uh, the members of the body, how the legs move with the tune to make the dance happen, this musical sense, how the voice fits with the notes and the words together, all which work together to express uh, one uh, terrific idea. In rabbinical theology, uh, there was often conversations about how many members uh, an individual would have, uh, and how that was connected then to the Torah, to the law. In the Mishnah, Hezekiah prays to God that having 248 different members, that not any one of them uh, would have done anything that would be offensive to God. Uh, And in fact, uh, it was understood that there were 248 commandments in the Torah, which uh, corresponded then to the 248 members of the body. Uh, it's interesting, Jesus talks uh, in several different ways about the different members of our body. Uh, in Matthew 5, uh, for example, Jesus talks about uh, if one member of your body causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, then you should pluck it out, that we should not carry with us any uh, member that that uh, breaks our relationship with God. But in the same way, he also speaks of the great value of the various individual members of us. And so in Matthew 10, uh, a reminder that God counts every hair on our head and and that every little detail about us is precious to God as well. Uh, Paul, of course, uses the word a lot, and we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But Paul reminds us that uh, that the individual members of the body are not autonomous, uh, but that they are controlled by the whole of the body, uh, that the whole of the body stands in relationship to the one who created it and set those members together for particular functions. And that's what defined them, not just characteristics, but how those parts fit together uh, for the whole, for the purpose of, of why we are here and why we were made. And then just to touch on one other uh, note here, in James makes this great notion again of, of how a small part, uh, a, a small member of our body can be so vitally important uh, when he talks about the tongue. And so in James 3 he says, Also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. With it, we bless the Lord and Father. With it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. All of which is to point to one of the great spiritual challenges of living in the world. How do we, who are all different, unique, individual members of the community, live together in some way that creates harmony, music, beauty, something that gives life to the creation of God? There's a lot of talk in the world about how the church has lost its influence, how we've removed God from so many important parts of our world. There's truth in that, but probably not in the way we usually have that conversation. We we need God in schools. We need school time, community prayer. We need more symbols in the world of the church and religion and And we miss entirely the important point, and that is that we don't understand the deep spiritual values that are at the core of the things that are most important in the world. And the symbolic acting out of religion is no replacement for understanding the spiritual importance of what we usually relegate to be just simply social or or worse, political issues in the world. And racism is certainly one of these. Racism is at its heart a spiritual problem, an inability of human beings to live together as God created us to live. And so, uh, starting last week and in an ongoing way, I want us to have some conversations about the spiritual values that are at the heart of this problem. In in hopes that that as we explore these, as we own up to these, uh, we might be able to find our way to some different solutions as well. Because in all of this, I want us to be attentive to God's word and how God's word talks to us about living together, about being community, about loving each other, regardless of who we are and how we look. So today I want to spend a little time in the twelfth chapter of the first letter to the Corinthians. This really key passage uh, that that really is at the heart, and I think impossible to move forward in this conversation unless we've spent some time with it. The letters to the Corinthians uh, really remind us that this was a congregation, a community of faith that Paul had planted, that had lots of difficulties going forward. Uh, perhaps it was because they were so far removed. Uh, it's so deep into the Greek and Roman world where its members lived. But as we read through the letters, there are lots of of, of various kinds of struggles, uh, various issues and concerns that they have obviously raised with Paul and that he needs to address. But as as we go through the, letter, the letters and, and all of these issues and concerns start to pile up, we come to kind of a climactic point here toward the end of the letter. And that's really where this particular passage fits in. Immediately prior uh, to this, uh, we've had a conversation about head coverings for women in the church. Uh, Certainly a conversation about uh, something that's different about certain individuals and how that should be addressed by the whole of the community. And, And then this conversation about the abuse of the Lord's Supper which for Paul at the heart is not a problem of doctrine or practice of how the supper is done. It's about justice. It's about how the community pretends to come together, yet some who are wealthy have brought their own food and enjoy their own meal while others sit by and are hungry because they have no food of their own and how this community has lost its interconnectedness. And so Paul moves then into this conversation about the spirituality of community, about the oneness of the body of Christ and what it means for us to be members of that body, to be parts of that body, so that we might all use together the spiritual gifts that God has given us for this one purpose, one mission. As Paul says, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And I think he looks at this very diverse community in Corinth and all of its struggles. And he mostly wants in this letter, despite all of their challenges, to find some way for them to come together and still be one. So there are three kind of primary themes that come through this 12th chapter, this conversation about the body of Christ. And I want to pick them up. One is starts in verse 14. And Paul writes... The body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So in this conversation, Paul starts, Paul wants to start first with this uh, principle of diversity that there is a uniqueness to the various members of the body, that each are specific and different and wants the whole community and the individual members of the community to understand that just because they are different does not mean that they are less. In fact, each has a different role to play, and each should rejoice and be thankful that it has a unique and specific part to play as a member of the body. And part of the challenge, part of what we do to one another as we look out in the community and we try to rank and compete between the different members of our community is we have that danger of making some members feel more important and some members feel less important. Paul wants to remind the Corinthians, who have been struggling with this problem too, that every member of the community has a place and a role and nothing in the community is dispensable. At the heart of this, I think, for Christians, is somehow we have confused two really important ideas. One is individuality. This this understanding that God has given us this abundant and diverse creation that you can see everywhere you look at all of the uniquenesses of all of the different aspects and elements of the creation. God does not mean for us all to be the same, or surely He would have made us all to be the same. And the fact that He has not certainly means that he means us not to be. The difference is what we worship in the world is individualism. This notion that because we are different, we are disconnected. We are not responsible to each other. We are entitled to our own space, to make our own decisions, to take what we want and keep what we have and and to have no obligations to one another. That's our great sin, individualism. And it makes a mockery uh, of this very nature of the creation that we have this individuality, that we have uniqueness and diversity is a blessing, that we use it as an excuse to cut ourselves off from one another or to cut others off from ourselves. That's a sin. So that's the first concept that Paul goes through. And then the second one then begins in verse 17. Paul says, If the whole body were an eye, Where would hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So the second principle is interdependence. This notion that we are all dependent on one another, that we are all connected um, not by our sameness, but by our differences and by our need of each other. And, and in a world where we have made other people kind of dispensable, where we all seem to, again, worship this notion that we don't need anyone else, we have made the community less And we have violated the principle on which we are created. We need each other. And if we would actually approach our relationships in that sense, I think we would be a much different world. That's not an easy thing to do. And I certainly don't want to sell it short. Knowing that we need other people is a violation against our sense of pride, right? our sense of independence. I don't want to have to depend on anybody. Trust me, I have... Fought that, fought so much in the last couple of years since my diagnosis, but, but that's also a freeing thing to understand that we need each other, both in the sense that, that others can help us in ways that are vital and important, but also in the sense that we also have important things to give to each other, too part of where individualism really breaks us down not just as a community but as individuals because it robs us of this great gift of giving to and serving others because that's of course what makes us whole, that's the definition of what it means to follow Jesus and, and when we remove that from our understanding of why we are here and who we are and who are all these people around me, then we are certainly less the third concept then begins in verse 22. Paul says, On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. Our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is, of course, the great principle of Scripture that we call justice. This understanding uh, that is greater than just the idea of equity That we're all created equal, everyone has an equal opportunity. Uh, Use your opportunity to get the most you can for yourself. Not a biblical principle at all. God's word instead guides us to this notion that there are those who are weaker. There are those who have less. And they are there for the specific purpose of giving our life meaning. They are there for our work, our mission. They are there to help us become more faithful followers of Jesus. And those whom we think less respected, those are the ones we must care for all the more deeply. And and here is the great indictment of the world and of racism that we have disrespected some because of the way they look, because of the color of their skin because of of a long history of treating people disrespectfully, as if that wasn't necessary, as if that was important and essential to the organization of the world. Now it is time for us to be responsible to this part of God's word that says we must give, in fact, all the more respect to those who are suffering, all the more. That is, after all, the whole, the heart of, the essence of the Black Lives Matter movement. It is a calling, a prophetic calling to the followers of Jesus to honor exactly what Paul is saying here. We need to have greater care for those who are suffering the most among us. And it is undeniable that in our world, people of color, immigrants, African Americans are suffering the most strictly because of the color of their skin. If we would follow Jesus, we must fight against that problem. If we refuse to, if we stand away from that, if, if we dismiss the idea with this false notion that all lives matter, then we live in violation, direct violation of God's word, of God's challenge to us. This is how all of the principles of membership in the body come together. Not how I get mine but how I help other members of the body who are in need. It's a concept that Paul goes into many places. He talks about it in Romans 12 as well. Anytime that Paul talks about different gifts and the diversity of people in God's creation, he always brings it back to this same principle that we are members of a body and that we have this interconnectedness. It's not a principle that Paul uses as if it was biology, and not just some organic way in which all of the members are connected. Paul understands that this is the ongoing act of creation, the very will of God, the responsibility of the members of the body. It's the heart of our understanding of the Son, of Jesus coming into the world, of his personage in the Trinity. Right? Jesus is this joining together of what is divine and what is human, of the bringing together into one body these two opposing forces, these two opposing principles. And Jesus is the living, breathing, walking example of what it means, what happens when spirit and body are joined together. And so he lives a life of service that climaxes in the greatest act of sacrifice, Jesus exists for the sake of what he will do for the rest of the body. And that's what defines the body of Christ. What will we do? What will we give? What will we undergo for the sake of others? Not just some others too. Perhaps what's most powerful is this picture of Jesus dying on the cross for the sake of those who put him there. What he's willing to give for those who are willing to bring harm to him. And it challenges us to that same thing, to come to that same place. This is where mission happens, not sitting in our church pews where we are all the same, where we have the same heritage and these shared values and we all look the same. But to go to that place, to go to Calvary, to go to that place of the skull, that place where there's pain and suffering, And to put ourselves in that place for the sake of others. How should we be members of the body in the world? That's how. That's how. We must take up our cross as Christ did. And fulfill our promise as members of the body of Christ. Consider this. Think of uh, all of the parts of the world as different cultures all of the different people of the world is having a different culture that is uh, music and art and dance, but also the attributes and the patterns of life of the different people in the world and and how those cultures play a part in the way that we set priorities and procedures and, and express our life and our faith in the world. Racism comes from a place of privilege, where we look upon all the other cultures of the world, all the other persons of the world as beings which need to be assimilated into our culture, into some dominant culture. And so we understand all of the rest of those around us, all of those who are different from us. We define them in terms of what contribution they can make to the world that we have imagined, to the world that we have desired. And when their differences are simply more than we think we can assimilate, then we build walls and we shut them out because we are afraid, because differences are threats to us. We see others' differences as judgments on who we are, and when we cannot easily assimilate that into our own being, then then they must be destroyed. The point is that people with access to opportunities and to institutions, people who are a part of that privileged main culture, are generally unaware of, of how our cultures and our biases affect those around us. We can't see what's on the other side of those walls that we have built. I understand what it's like for someone whose life, whose history, whose traditions have been scarred by by slavery or degradation or suffering or have seen their cultures ridiculed and reviled, or ultimately destroyed. If we would be one body, it's not just that we have to tear down those walls. We have to move to the other side of those walls. We have to see ourselves as part of the body with those other members, not just how they might contribute to us and to our world, but how might we become a part of their history? How might we share in their burdens? How might we protect them in their places of vulnerability? How might we partner with them in their mission to be what God created them to be so that we might fulfill our own promise and be what Jesus saved us to be? Join me again next week as we continue this conversation about racism and talk about what a vision for a world without racism might look like.
0: This podcast is a ministry of St. Matthew Lutheran Church, Omaha, Nebraska. It is edited by Rick Swanson, posted and promoted by Jacob York. If you have questions, comments, or topics you'd like to suggest, Please write us at beloved at smlutheran.com.